I really want to highlight kind of bringing it full circle to Matt's 2% fidelity card. <laughs> you know, with that $4,000 in spend, he got $80 back in college, which I'm sure felt wonderful when you were in college. Have you ever heard of compound interest, Travis? In 50 years, that $80 is going to be worth like $200. <laughs> Congratulations, Matt. Welcome, everyone, to episode two of Takeoff, a Points and Miles podcast by 10X Travel. Bryce Conway here. I'm joined with my friends who I'm going to let you introduce yourselves. I'm Travis. I'm Emily. I'm Matt. And we are going to be going through uh, much of the material from our free course in a much lighter, more casual, conversational way on today's podcast. So the way that we envision you using this is one, kind of learn the hobby, of course. Great alternative way to kind of pick up on some of the basics, building off the course. Two, I'd say send this to your friends who will tell you, I don't have time to, to take a course or I don't want to sit down and read. This is in a way, the audio version and probably a much more fun version. And we're going to pull from our own experiences, uh, recent redemptions and points of miles, kind of just make this more of a conversational way to to learn. But but do know that everything we're going to talk about today is going to build off of all of the free material that's on our course. Uh, it's entirely free and anyone is able to access it at 10xtravel.com slash course. So with that said, everyone, everyone ready to get into the fundamentals of the points and miles hobby? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So we talked a little bit about this in the last episode and we you know, introduced you to who we are and, and a little bit about our, our use of points, travel styles, et cetera. Today's going to go a little bit more toward the technical side of things, trying to teach you the basics of this hobby so that you can start your own journey. And who knows, maybe someday have a podcast yourself where you tell other people about how you've been using points and miles. So let's start with the very, very basics, the fundamentals of the points and miles hobby, kind of what is it? And really, from at least from my perspective, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask around the, the group here in a moment, there's three key things to try to optimize for in points and miles or in the points and miles hobby, also called travel hacking. Not a huge fan of that term. Um, three primary goals. One, earn as many points and miles as you possibly can. And when I say that, I'm referring to value, not actual number of points and miles, because as you're going to hear about later in the podcast, these things are not always the same. Number two, redeem those points and miles as best as you possibly can for your circumstance. Some would say for maximum value, but that's not necessarily the case because there are ways you can redeem them for max value and travel to places that you have no desire to go. So I would just say redeem them in a way that works best for you. And number three, do both of those things, one and two, without otherwise compromising your financial life. Don't spend more money, right? Anyone can go out and earn a million points by spending a million dollars on a credit card. Probably not the best idea. You want this to kind of fit without the re throughout the rest of your financial life, not having any other negative outcomes or consequences from those three things. So earn as many points and miles as you possibly can, redeem them in the way that's best for you, and do all this without otherwise jeopardizing your financial life. Did I get that right? Anything else that you would tell people at a happy hour? I think you nailed it. Awesome. Fantastic. So let's talk about earning points here. That's group number one. There's quite a few ways that you can do this. But by far, the most common one, the easiest one, and the one that's going to earn you the most points and miles the fastest is by using credit cards. Now, this is the thing that scares most people away from our hobby. When you say, hey, I'm really into credit cards. Most people are going to look at you like, whoa, what's wrong with you? Like, have you absolutely destroyed your financial life? Like, what would Dave Ramsey say if he heard you say that? Right. But credit cards are a key component of what we do here. 
And in particular, credit card bonuses are what make up the bulk of our, our points earnings. The reason for that is, is really just math. If you look at most credit card bonuses out there, they might offer like 50,000 points, 70,000 points, upwards of 150,000, sometimes 200,000 points and more, generally just for signing up for the card and spending a set amount of money in the first, usually about three months, called a minimum spend requirement. If you compare the numbers that you earn from opening a card, hitting the minimum spend, earning that bonus, they are drastically more than you'll earn from just kind of ongoing spend or really any other type of earning activity, of which we're going to cover quite a few of them here. But credit cards are the bulk of it. We're going to de dedicate time to many ways to earning points, but I want to make sure that we set that kind of baseline first. We're going to talk kind of in equal amounts of time about you know, flying and doing shopping portals and stuff and credit cards, but do know that the bulk of this builds off of credit cards. So to talk about kind of one in particular, like the, the go-to starter card in this hobby is the Chase Sapphire Preferred. I would, I would venture to guess that like 95% or more people who are starting out in points and miles, that's the first step. That's the, the obvious step, you know, opening that card, earning the bonus. I think there, there's a a, a group of, uh, you know, a certain percentage of people who kind of come into the hobby and they kind of overthink that first step. At least to me, that's kind of like the no-brainer. But I wanted to, yeah, ask the group here. You've seen a lot of other people kind of come into the hobby, kind of overthink that first step. You know, wh what's kind of the first thing you tell someone when they're eyeing their first card uh, and, and what sorts of reactions do you typically get? Yeah, I mean, I think like, it's easy to say the Chase Sapphire Preferred. It's just such a like great starter card. It's got pretty a pretty low annual fee for the value that you get out of it. So whenever anyone asks me that, it's just like a real quick, like this is the winner. And annual fees are such a sort of bur uh, hurdle for people that are just diving into this. They come in with kind of a preconceived notion that, no, I, I don't want any annual fees. Uh, and that's a, a one hurdle we have to cross. And so that way the Sapphire Preferred kind of is a nice entry point into understanding how like flexible currencies and some of this stuff work for 95 bucks. Yeah. And I mean, there there's plenty of great cards out there. And when I'm talking to people and recommending a first card, a lot of times people will start name dropping cards like the Capital One Venture card, which is a good card. Um but, you know, they spend a lot of money marketing that card. And that's why it kind of comes to mind first for people. Um, but keeping it keeping it simple, going with the Sapphire Preferred is just an almost foolproof way to, to get started. Like, there's a time later when the Venture card makes tons of sense for people. But I think pretty much everyone here, like, the Sapphire Preferred was probably one of, if not everyone here's first card that they got. I was going to ask, what, what was everyone's first card? <laughs> Southwest card. Uh, when I was in college, I thought I was investing in my future very strongly. I got the um, Fidelity credit card that uh, you can get the 2% cash back as like your Roth IRA contribution. And I thought I was just going to be, you know, a trillionaire by age 50 because, you know, 2% of all my spending was going to go into my Roth IRA. So that was my first one. My first one was a, uh, a City Advantage credit card to earn american airlines miles and and i'll ask i'll, I'll kind of send it back the other way uh who wishes they would have gotten the sapphire preferred as their first if they didn't i know i would have i would have I, i'm trying to think if it was even out when i started this hobby i'm getting a little long <laughs> in the tooth as they say i think it was but yeah. my, first, Sorry, ahead, my first points and miles card i consider the sapphire preferred i had a that got the fidelity one when i was in college and then a couple years later, I did get a Capital One Venture card, but I was just, you know, using the cashback 
or state not even statement credits but yeah just redeeming it in the for cashback but then yeah once i finally would say i entered the hobby sapphire preferred was my first one thankfully i found you guys before i applied for anything dumb so <laughs> yes success story the, the um, one with no regrets yeah <laughs> Anyway, let's uh, let's kind of focus in real quick on Sapphire Preferred, but just to kind of set the the framing of this here, we're, we're going to outline kind of how this card works, why we start with it, you know, what that process looks like uh, as an example to show how this can be repeated. You know, we mentioned that credit cards and credit card bonuses are really a huge part of this game. If you're, you know, if you're playing the game correctly, if there is even a correctly, uh, you're strategically opening new credit cards on a somewhat regular basis. You know, and, and when I say that, usually the email or question I get back is like, okay, like what's the exact cadence? Like there is none. Go at a pace that feels good for you. Um, But there is just simply no faster way in the entire world to earn points and miles than to open new credit cards whenever it feels convenient, earn a bonus. Let's kind of walk quickly through the math as to why that is. So looking at the Sapphire Preferred in particular, the one that we're all kind of talking about here, I don't mean to kind of turn this into a chase commercial, but that card uh, generally offer bonus historically in the range of 60,000 to 80,000, occasionally up to 100,000 points after you spend $4,000 in the first three months, which is referred as the minimum spending requirement. So kind of just looking at the math of that, think about if you have your current credit card or debit card, whatever you have in slot number one in your wallet, you know, how much benefit, how much value you're going to get out of the next $4,000 you spend on that card. Well, I guess if you have, if you're Matt in college, who is the most financially responsible college student in the world, it sounds like what was that? 2%? You said 2% back. So if you spend $4,000 in a car that earns 2% effectively cash back, which is actually a pretty good earning rate, that's 80 bucks. Not bad, right? $80 is good. No one's going to you know, walk, walk past that on the street and not pick it up. But if we look at Sapphire, the points, you know, the value of them we're going to talk about in a bit. But most would consider Chase points to be worth somewhere in the range of at least 1.25 cents each upwards of about two cents a point. So if you get 60,000 bonus points for spending 4,000 bucks, that's going to be somewhere in the range of like mid 700s up to like $1,200 or more of value. So comparing that to the $80, you know, for those of you who are watching here on video, I'm holding up my hands during this. You have like the little tiny $80 benefit that you get from spending 4,000 bucks. Whereas on Sapphire Preferred, those points would be upwards of 1,200 bucks, right? There's no comparison whatsoever. I find many times it helps to kind of reframe these sign-up bonuses as if it's a limited time spending opportunity. So a lot of people, their eyes will kind of glaze over. You say, oh, you earn like 60,000 points after you spend 4,000 bucks, and that kind of doesn't hit. But if you say like, hey, you're going to earn 12x points per dollar spent on whatever the math is. It's too early in the morning to do that exactly. But if you're earning like 12 points per dollar spent on the next 4,000 you spend on this card, they kind of eyes open up like, whoa, like that totally changes things. So that's how I would kind of encourage you to, to view credit card bonuses, to view how you uh, how those fit into the total scheme of, of earning points. Because again, those are kind of the, the biggest piece here. So let's talk real quick about that, that Sapphire bonus. Let's talk about kind of what each of us w- would use that for. So I guess I'll, I'll generally ask and, and answer in the order that you like. How would you redeem 60 to 80,000 Chase Ultimate Rewards? So if, if, I, if I had recently earned it, um, uh, I, I, w- I would focus on keeping it somewhere close um, in terms of my trip. And the reason for that is because I, I feel like 
getting that first trip booked is usually one of the hardest things for people to do. And that's when you really see the value in points and miles. And with one bonus from the Sapphire Preferred, you could go down to Costa Rica, a really popular destination. Um, Hyatt has a property down there called the Andaz Papagayo, which is I, I haven't been yet. I might be going later this year, but gets fantastic rave reviews from everyone who goes there. Um, and with the bonus from the Sapphire Preferred, you could easily do a long weekend, three or four nights, um, potentially with flights, depending on how much flights cost and what tier of the bonus you got. Excellent choice. Emily, Matt, how about you? Yeah. Um so I would use it to take a trip I'm actually taking this year. So I uh, found through Flying Blue, uh, I booked an Air France flight from Denver to Paris for 15,000 points per person in economy. So round trip, it's 30,000 points per person. There's two of us. There's your, there's your 60,000 points. And, and now you're in Europe. <laughs> and now you're getting way more than six, seven, eight hundred dollars out of that sign up bonus for the, yeah. those just those two flights alone. Yeah. I think it was like over a thousand dollars round trip for one ticket. So I feel pretty good about that one. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. I'm uh if you know me, this is no surprise. I'm going to one place, one place only, and that's Turks and Caicos. Uh Emily and I are taking a little bit more intermediate uh redemption strategy uh with our options to where we transfer chase points to a partner and you'll learn about that in upcoming episodes it's not that complicated but it is a little bit uh more more uh difficult of a concept to learn initially but then once you get the hang of it it's not bad Uh, i live in north carolina you can fly from charlotte to turks and caicos on american airlines they charge anywhere from twelve thousand five hundred miles up to 50 or 60 or seventy thousand miles one way just depending on time of year uh, which is absurd Cash prices are usually seven or eight hundred bucks round trip per person. Uh, I'm going to transfer eleven thousand points over from Chase to British Airways to book those same exact seats. You know, I can only book them uh, when they're priced at under fifteen thousand miles per person uh, each way for this particular redemption. But either way, uh, I'm going to get a ton of value. That's three round trip tickets uh, essentially from that one sign up bonus, potentially four depending on where it nets out. For me, I'm going to kind of follow Emily's lead and, and mention something that, or a booking that I've actually done myself recently. I I would would I did uh, transfer seventy two thousand five hundred uh, Chase Altner Award points to Emirates. I booked a, a one way business class flight uh, on the way home, so from Milan to JFK, taking the family to uh, to Europe this summer. Uh, but those that uh, that business class flight, Milan JFK, you can go either way. And, and actually can get it for as little as 90,000 points round trip. Uh, but you've probably seen pictures of this flight before. It's the one that has like an actual like bar and lounge in the plane, like a little tiny horseshoe shaped bar. Everything's kind of like gold and, and ornate. Um, and I'm gonna be there with a family of five. We had enough points to, to do all of us flying home. And it would be for roughly one chase Sapphire bonus, like per person. We'll talk about later how you can kind of play this game with other people, but that's what I would do. Cash price to, to book that's generally in the range of like three to six thousand dollars per ticket. Uh, so again, coming from one from one bonus. So you know, I want to take a moment to just kind of zoom back out because I think a lot of you who are listening to this are probably relatively new to points and miles. And here we are, you know, fifteen minutes into our our podcast, talking about all right. Here's how you transfer these to an airline that you 
may or may not have even heard of and you know book this insane flight the the key takeaway here is one credit card sign up bonus can do all of these things incredible value from just one points and miles have value earning them through credit card bonuses allows you to take trips like this over and over again I think this so, also drives home the point very quickly for you, especially new listeners that uh, you didn't hear any of us talk about redeeming the points via, in this case, the Chase Travel Portal or uh, cashback like statement credits or anything like that. It shows you that those aren't the best redemptions, probably 90 some odd percent of the time. Um, and so while it may sound intimidating, learning how to uh, utilize them, which will guide you via like transfer partners and, and more, what most people probably think of as an advanced technique and strategy uh, is the best way to do it and at the end of the day isn't that difficult yeah and, Absolutely. and i I, re I really want to highlight um kind of bringing it full circle um to matt's two percent fidelity card <laughs> you know with that four thousand dollars in spend he got eighty dollars back in college which i'm sure felt wonderful when you were in college have you ever heard of compound interest travis in 50 years that eighty dollars is going to be worth like two hundred dollars <laughs> congratulations matt yeah. um but 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 the point i want to hit home is you know bryce talked about how at a minimum the the points are worth like 800 to 1200 dollars on the sapphire preferred and in each of our examples which none of these are hard to achieve examples we're all using those points to actually get even more value than that and that's like the real power is is that the the value of the points when we often talk about them is a minimum amount it's a minimum value that they're that they're worth but it doesn't mean you can't get more matt's 80 dollars. yeah it'll get more due to compound interest but let's say it's just a standard cash back card like the cash back amount you get that's fixed you know if you get two cents for two percent cash back for every dollar you spend all you're getting is two cents for every dollar you spend. You're always getting that fixed amount. But with points and miles and learning to navigate the ecosystem, you can even get more than than the minimum value that you'll often hear us talk about. Yeah. And I, I think just to to zoom way out on that point, like one of the one of the first key kind of psychological barriers that people encounter in the points and miles world is you have to kind of feel that points and miles have value. They're a currency. To a lot of folks, it's just arbitrary numbers, almost like cryptocurrency or something like, hey, there's 200,000 of these type of points. And that doesn't kind of trigger the same thinking as like that. That's like money. That's like a type of value. But they're really like any other type of loyalty currency out there. They're not directly cash, right? You generally can't pay your mortgage with points or, you know, go to Chipotle and buy something with points. I guess there's ways you can, but you shouldn't. But they have value. Which is why in the last episode we talked about kind of what's your one piece of advice for new for new people in this hobby and mine was get to the first redemption as fast as you can because that kind of triggers that feeling of like oh like this arbitrary number thing in the sky can actually create real world value so that's kind of what we're, we're driving home here so we've talked about kind of the chase points how there's lots of different ways you can use them and uh, for for maximum value i want to talk about the different types of points and miles that are out there because as we discussed the first goal of points and miles hobby is to earn as many points and miles as you can, like as much value. But this is where things get kind of tricky because there's so many different types of points and miles. So we're going to talk about really the three main types of them, talk a little bit about sub-programs within each one, hopefully help you choose uh, to earn the right type of points to get max value so that you don't end up with you know $80 in college or $25 in cold cash. Um, so 
the first type of points and miles and the most valuable and the one that we are all constantly chasing are what are called transferable points. There are four major programs of, of those. Chase, Chase Hoffman Rewards, American Express, which has membership rewards, City, thank you points, Capital One, they call them miles, which makes a lot of this confusing. Um, but these are really the four main transferable points programs. There are other smaller ones you could call Built. I guess not call. Built is absolutely a transferable program. Hard to earn their points, so not talked about it as much. Marriott, in some ways, you can transfer them to a bunch of different airlines and such, but the ratios of the transfers are so bad that you probably shouldn't do that. Like Marriott is a transferable points program in the same sense that your 401k is a checking account. Like technically, yes, but you shouldn't do that. So we're going to focus on the big four, Amex, Chase, City, Capital One. With these type of points, they are tied to your actual card or cards if you have multiple with the bank. So we talked about the Chase Sapphire Preferred that earns Chase Often Reward points. You could also open a business card, the Chase Inc. Preferred earns the same points. All those points kind of go into the same account per individual. You can generally move points between cards relatively easily, instantly, freely. Uh, and they kind of just create this ecosystem, if you will, where you have one or multiple cards earning the same types of points. Now, generally speaking, all of these transferable points can be re redeemed in multiple ways. The first, you can generally get them as cash back, and you shouldn't do that because the value is quite low, often one cent per point or lower. So what happens is you might end up taking $500 cash back that could have booked $2,500 of travel. But that option is there, so do know that. The second is that you can generally redeem them through what is often called like a, a travel portal or a travel website. Each of these major banks have their own travel site. It looks just like any other travel site you've ever seen in your life where you can book just about any flight, hotel, rental car, sometimes cruises and excursions. And it's generally going to be at a fixed value per point. So like Chase, for example, Chase Alton Rewards. Uh, depends on the card. Let's stick with Sapphire Preferred. Fixed value of 1.25 cents per point. That's, again, any flight. Right? You want to book a, fl a flight from New York to JFK. If you want to book a hotel in Indianapolis, if you want to book a rental car in Hawaii, same value per point gives you the ultimate flexibility because you're not tied to a particular airline or hotel. There's some cases when, when you'd use that. I guess I'd put it to the group. Have any of you ever redeemed points via like a, a travel portal? And do you happen to remember like when and, and why? Travis is raising his hand. <laughs> yeah. So I actually did um, last year. We went to Indonesia um, and there was a great discounted business class fare. So it was about $1,200 round trip in business class from New York to Jakarta, Indonesia. So yeah, so booking booking that through the portal, um, I couldn't book it for less points with with a transfer partner. So going through the portal in that instance definitely made the most sense for me. I once did a portal booking. Hi, I'm Bryce, and I did a portal booking. <laughs> I've done a few actually. I think I did a, a hotel in Disney, like some domestic flights. Uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, so like when I'm flying to New York, it's hard to find like great points redemptions, but the cash price is really cheap, so I've done it there. But Generally, it's not something that a lot of points and miles, quote unquote, pros do because you can get the most value out of these transferable points and miles by going with option number three, which is to transfer them to one of the travel partners of these different programs. Now, these transfer partners are going to be airlines and hotels, many of which are going to be brands you're familiar with, but they're going to be different per program. So like Chase, for example, you can transfer your points one-to-one -one for free, generally almost instantly, to about a dozen different airlines and hotels. Notable names would include Southwest, United, Marriott, Hyatt, British Airways, Aer Lingus, 
I should have these memorized given what I do, but I don't candidly. So what that effectively allows you to do is it's as if you have like a Southwest credit card and a United credit card and a Hyatt credit card and a Marriott credit card and on and on and on all smashed together into one single card because any points you earn on that in that transferable points program can become any of those other types of points. Gives you a ton of different flexibility. So we covered this in the course and the analogy that I ultimately settled on was one of Uno wildcards. And, you know, you, I guess you kind of have to know how to play Uno to understand this, but maybe not. Let's try. So in the game of Uno, there's four different color types of cards. Your goal is to play all of your cards and run out of them. And you can only play a card on the same color. They also have numbers on. So if I'm holding like a red seven, Emily plays a red four. I can play a red seven. That's great. Problem is, what if Emily plays a blue three, right? Can't play that card. There's situations in which you can't use those. Transferable points and miles are like wild card in this analogy. They can become any of a number of different colors. So Emily plays a, a red two. I'm sitting there. I don't have any red cards, but I have a, trans, or a wild card, transferable points in this analogy. I can say, hey, I want this to be red. I'm going to play this now. That's how that type of flexibility works. So I think just think of it as if there's all these different types of airline and hotel cards smashed into one single card. That's how transferable points work. That's where you're going to get that incredible outsized value that you kind of heard us all describe uh, at the beginning of this episode, booking those, you know, business class flights to, to Italy or, or booking, you know, round trip flights on one bonus from Denver to Paris. Uh, that comes from the transfer partners. The only thing I, I want to add to that is like, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, wow, like that's such a great way. I'm going to go transfer all my points now. Like put, put a little pause on that. Like, because once you transfer them, you can't transfer them back. So now, right, it's just like playing that wild card. You don't want to play that wild card just because you've got it. You want to wait and do it strategically when you know it's going to give you the best opportunity to win the game. Emily, Matt, anything else to add about kind of transferable points? The Uno uh, example is a great analogy. The only other best one that I could come up with was the uh, currency exchange sort of desks, you know, at airports and stuff that you see all over the place except those are where you go to exchange it for like a really bad deal. Like, so it's basically the opposite of those same service, except in most cases, like a really good uh, exchange that you'll feel good about. Yep. The bottom line of transport points is they give you both flexibility and the ability to book kind of any travel through their portal, as well as the upside of specific airline and hotel miles. It's kind of, and, and also I guess cash back. So they, they kind of do it all. Uh, there's very rarely a situation with transferable points where like, wow, I'd like to use my points for that. And I, I literally can't. That's what makes them so great. So if we're visualizing this or if we're watching this on your favorite video streaming platform, I always think of transfer points as being kind of like at the top, like up high on top of a hill. Pick your favorite you know, visualization. They can transfer down to airline and hotel miles, which is the next two we're going to kind of talk about. These are your conventional frequent flyer miles, right? If you have, if you have your friend who used to travel for work, who's bragging about having a million miles with United, like that's what they're talking about is airline specific miles. Now, the upside of these miles, of course, is they can be redeemed for travel. Uh, the downside is that they're generally going to be tied to a particular airline or hotel. So if you have a bunch of United miles and you want to book a flight on United that's reasonably priced mileage-wise, that's fantastic. You can do that. If you have a million United miles and you want to go with Travis on his trip to the Andas uh, Papagayo in Costa Rica, Hyatt property, you can't do that. Or at least not in a way that you'd ever want to do. So that's the downside of airline and hotel specific miles, points, 
they're tied to a particular brand, they have much more limited functionality in terms of what you can redeem them for. Taking that back to a card standpoint, if you have a credit card that earns airline or hotel miles, and generally, almost always, it's going to have the name of an airline or hotel on it, right? You have the Hyatt credit card. You have the United credit card, Southwest credit card. You are earning that, that type of limited points and miles um, that doesn't do nearly as much as a transferable point, especially when there are transferable points that can transfer to the miles that you're earning, right? Chase points transfer to Southwest. So why would you ever use a Southwest card and earn Southwest miles? You could earn Chase miles at Chase points, and it's the same thing. This is somewhat difficult to explain on a podcast type format. So I would encourage you to kind of go through the course. I'm seeing smiles around here, but I guess the bottom, bottom line thing to know, airline and hotel points are generally tied to that brand or that brand's partners, which gives you limited ability to redeem them, makes them a little bit less valuable, less desirable uh, in our mind. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't earn them at all. If you're doing points and miles right, you're going to be earning all different types. You're going to have transfer points. You're going to have hotel points. You have airline points. The important thing is just to keep in mind which ones are the most valuable. If you're given the choice to, to earn a roughly equivalent amount of transferable points, say with American Express or uh, Hilton points, transferable points are going to be the better one almost every single time. And on that same note, if you are you or someone that you love is using an airline or hotel credit card, it's kind of like their go-to card. Like I put all my spending on this. They are almost certainly missing out on value because of that choice. Transferable points are better. Both are fantastic. Let's talk about kind of like uh, similar credit card offers, kind of comparing them, showing you why there might be such a dramatic difference in these. And again, to quickly zoom out, refocus here, we're talking about that goal number one, you want to earn as many points and miles as possible. We're walking you through how those points and miles can be different and different values and why not all points and miles are quite what they seem. So the analogy that we often make at 10X Travel is that you want to think about different points and miles as if they're different types of international currencies. Right. Most people kind of get this. If I say, like, hey, Matt, I have, you know, 10,000, you know, pesos, you have $10,000, right? Those are the same value, right? And most people are kind of pause, but no, like not even close, right? And that can go you know, and compare any different type of international currency. But for some reason, when it comes to points and miles, people just default and assume that they're all of the same value. If I say 100,000 Hilton points compared to 100,000 Chase Alton Reward points, those are not even close to the same value. We're going to go through around here and, and give some specific examples of cards that, that cause people to fall for that trap. But when we're zooming out, we're earning as many points and miles as possible. We're focusing on getting as much value out of those as we possibly can. And doing that requires that you know that points and miles are very different values from one to the next and just understanding how and why that works. So in order to do that, let's, let's talk about some, some credit card offers that you see folks often jump at that might not be as good as they initially seem. I think like one of the most common examples of people like just jumping at a credit card offer because it's a high point value is the Delta cards. Right now, I think they have like a pretty historically low offer, but typically they'll be higher. It'll be like 100,000 points and that makes people go nuts. But you have to think about what that value can actually get you. So if you run like a sample search on the Delta website to see how much it's going to cost you for... Uh, a flight from New York to Paris, you might find that it's going to cost you more points than the sign-up bonus is even offering. In which case, like you're not going to get the same value that you might out of sixty or eighty thousand Chase Ultimate Rewards points, even if the Delta card is offering a hundred thousand Delta Sky Miles. Great choice, definitely one of the most common ones we see people ask about, particularly beginners. 
Travis, how about you? Well, I'll, I'll say when I'm starting, I'm changing mine because I realized Emily gave the exact same example above that I was thinking of. So, um, <laughs> so I changed mine okay. last minute now. All right. The, 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 this is my go on it. Kind of similarly in that vein of the Delta cards, uh, another popular choice is any of the Marriott cards. And there I go. I called it Marriott. It's Marriott. You probably heard that in our last episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're Moet there. <laughs> only if you say it correctly. Um, so similarly, like the the Marriott cards, uh, people tend to be attracted to them. People are very familiar with the brand, and. Even if you're someone who stays at a Marriott property a lot, like they can be a trap just like the Delta cards. Even if the card's offering 100,000 Marriott points, which sounds like a lot, that's not nearly as many as it seems. I like to redeem my points for properties and hotels and experiences that I normally wouldn't be able to just afford to pay cash for, um, which means I'm usually looking towards higher end properties. And Marriott has completely gotten rid of their award chart. And now their top end properties often are costing 100 to 150,000 points per night. Whereas by having transferable points, going back to Chase, I could transfer those to Hyatt, who's uh, top tier properties generally cost in the like thirty to forty thousand uh, points per night range. So the Marriott card might not even be enough points for one night at one of one of the top tier properties where I would normally stay. Um, whereas with the transferable points, I could get sometimes two or three. For me, it's similar. The uh, the only difference would be the Hilton program. It's uh, Hilton was kind of the first program a couple years ago to more or less ditch the award chart and just kind of ramp up uh, across the board, both uh, the redemption costs, but at the same time, their earning rate is higher. Uh, so it's just kind of skewed one way or the other. Uh, Marriott is trying as fast as they can to catch up to Hilton, it seems, and they've uh, closed the gap significantly in recent years. So uh, in, in a similar fashion to what Travis was saying about Marriott, is Hilton's the same way. You can get 150,000 points on some of the Hilton cards very regularly for a bonus, and that that can be good for you know five or six nights at some of their lowest properties. You know, think very sort of bottom of their award chart that might be in the twenty five thirty thousand points per night range. Nothing glamorous about pretty much all of those, but you know, can be a necessity depending on your travel. Uh, but the higher end properties, you know, the Waldorf Astorias, the pro- some of their properties in the Maldives or other uh, high end locations can can top out at. I mean, depending on what rooms you book, they can literally go to like a million points per night. So, you know, on the surface, 150, 180, I think we might've even seen it 200,000 if I remember correctly, but, uh, seems like, seems like a lot of points, but, uh, without having the knowledge of the award chart and being able or flexible schedules that won't go very far in, in some instances. Yep. And you, you all mentioned all the cards that I was thinking of too. So I'll just I'll just kind of speak generally. Like when you're when you're evaluating card offers like this, you just have to take that one additional half step and ask like, what are these actually worth? I think a lot of a lot of the mistakes made in, in choosing the wrong credit cards or in the wrong type of type of points come from just like seeing a big number like 150,000 and assuming like, wow, that's a lot. Just take one half step and just even just Google like, what is the value of a Hilton point or a Delta mile? 
and always be on, on your guard and aware that the offers that look super appealing, particularly to people who are beginners or not, you know, don't know a lot about credit cards, points and miles, uh, are often not the best ones. The ones that look a little confusing to you because they have names that aren't written on the side of an airplane that pulls by as you're sitting at the airport, like American Express membership rewards, tend to be amazing. Uh, to give ourselves a quick shout out, we make this easy for you. Uh, we have a page on our website called our best cards page. You can be, uh, click it straight in the nav on our homepage where we actually rank the credit, pretty much every major credit card offer in the world according to the value that we think the average person would get out of them. So when in doubt, uh, you can um, just go there and chances are good that the highest ranked card on there that you can qualify for is the one that you should get. We will also link that in the show notes as well. So again, to quickly kind of zoom out, goal of, first goal of the points and miles hobby, earn as many points and miles as you can. Going one step lower, these points and miles all have pretty different values. Like there's different types of them. You have transferable points, you have airline hotel points. The value on these can be dramatically different from card to card. So don't just kind of choose cards at random. And by far the fastest way to earn these points with the credit cards is sign up bonuses. Strategically opening a new card when it makes sense for you, earning those big bonuses because kind of back to our you know $80 versus a business class flight to Italy, uh, the, the, you'll never match the value that you earn on a sign-up bonus from ongoing spend or from any other type of way to earn miles, of which we're going to cover those here in a moment. But before we jump to that and kind of leave credit cards behind, we have to kind of answer the, the elephant in the room, the question that is on most people's minds when they hear us talk about how much we love opening new credit cards. Credit score, right? Who, or who should be doing this? Who shouldn't? Why are people so afraid of credit cards, credit stigma, et cetera? So let's kind of briefly talk about that. Um, I guess the, the, the biggest and the most important thing to know there is that opening new credit cards and using them responsibly does not harm your credit score. It's just objective fact. There's a lot of misinformation that you'll see out there about kind of how your credit score works, or you'll, you'll hear kind of half-truths about like, well, if you apply for a new credit card, that will like ding your credit score, and therefore that's bad. And you know, the half of that truth is true. And we'll get into the more depth on this kind of in a later podcast. But, you know, on the surface now, topical, opening new, more credit, new credit cards, using them responsibly is simply not bad for your score. This is just math. We know that. But that doesn't mean that everyone should go out there and start opening a bunch of credit cards, right? There's other things to be watched to watch out for. So I think I would generally say that this hobby is, uh, this points and miles hobby is, is good for folks who, who are really into kind of three uh, buckets or kind of have three attributes about them. The first is that you have good credit, right? If you've had credit problems in the past or you really have never had uh, any sort of credit history of your own, you're generally not going to be approved for most credit cards that are at least worthwhile at all. So you, you have to have good credit. Now, that's something that we can help with at, uh, at 10X Travel. There's, there's a, a common thought in, this, in the points and miles hobby of, I guess I don't want to say thought, like a limiting belief of like, my credit isn't fixable or like this is an aspect of me that just makes this not work for me at all. It's not true, right? Almost every, not almost, every single credit situation is fixable. It's often easier than you think. We can help you with that. We have a ton of free materials. Our course kind of covers it as well. But you're going to have to have good credit to, to make this work. The second is people with what we would call a solid financial or, or budgeting foundation, right? You feel like you have control over the money you're spending. You know about how much you're spending each month. You trust yourself not to, that a credit card is not going to suddenly make you spend a bunch more money just kind of you feel in control of your finances and generally have sound uh, financial habits. And then the last one, and this might even be the most important one, people without credit card debt 
right? A lot of people have credit card debt. That, totally fine. You know, lots of reasons why that happens. You got to clean that up first before you do the points and miles hobby. Otherwise, you're, you're risking uh, potentially like losing more value than you're creating as you kind of like try to shuffle the idea of like new cards and like trying to earn points with credit card debt. Like that's just going to kind of weigh you down. Take care of that first. I would almost say no exceptions to that. Just wipe that out completely before you get started in the hobby. Anything I missed? Have you seen any other situations where it's like, hey, you should not do points and miles for this reason? One of the sort of building on the second one of you know solid financial budgeting and foundation notes you'd mentioned, uh, Megan in our group has a good line that she says all the time to people, and it's uh, credit cards are a source of payment, not a method of funds. You know, so this goes along the the mindset that yeah, I'm not getting into credit cards because I'm going to immediately go into debt or you know not understanding sort of the fundamentals of how they work. So it's you know pay off the balance every month when the statement cycle is due. Uh, not rollover balances, anything like that. You know, essentially treat it in some regards as it's a debit card, even though it's not. And we can get into the nuances of that at a different point. But yeah, it's a, a method of payment, not a source of funds. I like that a lot. So I guess again, zooming out, this this hobby is for for, for people who generally have good credit, and, and we can help you with that if you don't feel good about your financial situation, understand your finances, and of course, don't have any current credit card debt. We talked about goal number one of points and miles hobby, earn as many points and miles as you can, knowing that most of those are going to come from credit card bonuses, ongoing credit card spend. Pay attention to the type of points and miles that you earn because the value of them is dramatically different. You probably want to focus on transferable points and miles first, but there is a time and a place to be earning airline hotel points as well. This doesn't hurt your credit, despite what your friend, financial advisor, grandma, anyone else tells you. That's just objective truth. And that is the primary goal of the points and miles hobby. We're going to talk about other ways to earn points and miles in the future. Of course, we're going to talk about how to redeem them. But that is the basics. Believe it or not, you've reached a knowledge level where you can start earning a bunch of points and miles now, whether that's through the credit card sign-up bonuses or other methods, totally up to you. So if any of this sounds like you, tune into the next episode. We're going to break down the many other ways to earn all these various types of points and miles. In the meantime, if you're itching for more points and miles education and content, We've got you covered. Our free course will guide you step-by-step through getting started in this hobby. It's a great resource for folks who are new to this. We are also always posting new articles at our website, 10xtravel.com, that can serve as inspiration for your next points and miles trip. If you're looking for other like-minded points and miles enthusiasts, make sure to check out our Facebook group, 10x Travel Insiders, where you can learn and interact with over 210,000 other readers. I'm Bryce Conway. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Take Off, a Points and Miles podcast by 10X Travel. We'll talk to you next time.